Welcome to the 321 Biz Development Podcast and the White Collar Sales Pro Show on Blog Talk Radio. My name is Clarence Rick Napier, CEO 321 Biz Dev LLC, located in Sacramento County, California. Today is Thursday, April 2nd, 2020. 321BizDev LLC brings a combination of sales system training, business development services, digital marketing, and website design to worldwide business owners of any size. Our business is people, our product is sales performance. We tell business owners exactly what they need to know and why they need to know it without any gimmicks or fluff. We know what the sales performance struggle is like because we were once there too. The 321 team can help business owners meet or exceed their revenue expectations. 321 is the company to call if you or your sales team want to master. 321 is the company to call if you or your sales team want to master the following four main sales functions. Contacting, prospecting, appointment setting, and closing. 321 BizDev services are available worldwide where the English language is spoken. We can be reached toll-free in the U.S. and Canada at 833-321-3212 or internationally using WhatsApp at country code 1-415-515-6760. We have over 94 hours of business development content and interviews with business owners from around the world. Today's podcast episode features eight different topics. And listeners today, Thursday, it's now uh, 12 noon on the West Coast. I really want to talk to you today about a lot of different subjects. And the the event that is driving the subject is COVID-19, the coronavirus. And the coronavirus, uh, I guess, was officially announced to the United States and the world around about March 1st-ish, maybe the middle of March uh, things started kicking in. But I tell you what, the COVID-19 thing has exposed a lot of things in, in the business world. Um, plus, it has also identified some areas where small business owners, uh, white collar small business owners, such as attorneys, uh, dentists, CPAs, uh, plastic surgeons, insurance brokers, and real estate brokers, and a whole lot of other small business owner industries can benefit from. And I saw this post today on Instagram. It said that if you're not learning something from this COVID-19, if you're not, if you haven't started a side side hustle from this COVID-19, if you haven't found ways to strengthen your business pro uh, process from this COVID-19, then you have not, it has not been uh, because of a lack of time that your business has not moved forward. It's been a lack of discipline. And that, that post came from a, a contact that I made in uh, sunny South Florida, uh, an attorney, which I need to call immediately after this podcast episode. So the topics I want to cover today, again, surround this COVID-19 thing, which I must tell you that this podcast episode is for business owners, because it is the business owners that are being really attacked. And some people are saying that the devastation is more economic than it is for people's health. 
I think uh, as of today, I think I've heard something like 5,000 deaths across the United States. And this country has about 335 million to 340 million uh, people that are living here. So 5,000 deaths and, you know, probably, I don't know, 50,000 cases. And I'll just tell you this. Again, this is this podcast episode with these eight topics are for business owners. And uh, I just personally think my personal opinion that this is a hoax or the the elevation and the panic and fear is a hoax because we know the coronavirus has been around since 1960. OK, that's that's not that's nothing new. And some have said they have uh, you know modified the engineering of the virus and blah, blah, blah. But the impact economically has hurt small business owners, uh, even large companies more so than the, uh, the, the, the health issues of 5,000 people who have died and 50,000 cases. And I'm not sure, you know, how they come up with 50,000 cases because I think that's all a fraud too. But the reason why I'm doing this podcast episode is for the small business owners. And this is the third time that I've said this. It's because the small business owners have been always the target of this thing. Uh, the small business owners, when they started announcing uh, that people need to stay home, that was the original intent of the COVID-19, you know, scare, panic and fear. And because, um, you know, a lot of uh, people know that it's the small business owners that make things happen in the United States and, and, and around the world. And I call this thing an economic terrorist attack. Even though it's 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 you know it's based on this virus that came over here from China, this was an intentional economic terrorist attack, and I do believe the people who run the country—that is, uh, President Forty Five, President Trump, uh, and, and his staff—they know who released this virus. They they know the person, they know the people, they know the groups. Uh, from what I'm hearing, who have have done this, and I hope people are arrested or whatever the the penalty is for causing economic uh, disaster in the United States and our friends and partners around the world. So that's the last that I will say about the um, the economic terrorist part or, you know, slightly the political part of it. Um, I don't like talking about politics when it comes to business owners, mainly because most of my small business owners are capitalists, our, our clients here at 321 uh, BizDev LLC. They are capitalists. And by definition, a capitalist is someone who wants to make a profit. So I, I've never had to talk about, uh, you know, politics on, I would say, 99.9% of 321Biz development uh, shows. But I do believe uh, this incident was politically driven. And based on what I'm hearing from friends and people that I talk to on a regular basis, uh, they are not blaming the current president because of this. In fact, uh, I think his popularity numbers have, have gone up to 60% of how he's handling the virus. And the young people are very upset that they cannot work like they used to before this corona thing kicked off. So I believe, you know, whoever is behind this uh, coronavirus thing, uh, they may have bitten off more than they can chew, and they may have uh, overestimated the political impact that the coronavirus uh, would would cause, because a lot of people, 
like I have three sons who are millennials. And uh, fortunately, they all studied uh, subjects in college that has uh, um, immunized them or have taken them away from the economic disaster that is that is really plaguing millions of Americans. So all three are working and they have no uh, threat of being laid off because of their uh, technological, their tech degrees. So, um, but a lot of other millennials who may not have been insulated from the, the negative impacts of coronavirus, uh, they are upset that they cannot work. And even my neighbor, who is not really uh, political, he is mad at the people who have shut down his ability to work where he has to accept uh, some, uh, you know, unemployment check or a stimulus check. So I'm going to move on and start with the topics. So again, this is going to be an eight topic podcast, and I'm not sure how long it's going to last, but what I will do is after I have finished the podcast episode, I will put minute markers next to the subject lines. So if people want to uh, skip to a certain subject line, they can skip to it without listening to every single subject. So the first topic is don't be a slave to the lender. Now, this topic or this phrase of don't be a slave to the lender is very apropos right now. Um, Many of you may not know, but you know, all this money that's being spent and these stimulus checks and this $2.2 trillion, you know, uh, stimulus to keep the economy at least afloat, is not coming from America. It's coming from the central bank. And the central bank is a network of banks where every country has a central bank. There's a central bank in Mexico. There's a central bank in Switzerland. There's a central bank in France, you know, Spain, South Korea, every place where there is a uh, market economy, I believe there are only three countries that do not have a central bank. I believe one of them is China. The other one is South Korea, and it may be Russia. Russia may be the third one, or it may be Iran. uh, That's not a part of the central banking system. So the reason why I want to let people know this is because there are some some haters out there that that are they're thinking that this is bankrupting bankrupting the American economy and this is uh, really breaking the bank. In essence, anytime a person buys a house or buys a car or buys furniture or uses their credit card uh, to to finance something, I don't care if you are financing or using your credit card to buy a five da- a five dollar Happy Meal or a five dollar uh, well it's more than five dollars now. Uh, like an $8 Whopper meal. If you are using your credit card to buy that $8 Burger King combo, that is being financed, okay? And when you analyze or look at how money flows, it all goes back to this central bank who is, you know, for the most part, you know, financing the the productivity and the expansion of, of economies around the world. So this financial part in terms of the U.S. Uh, you know, spending money and, and, and taking out loans and giving people loans, that's not really hurting the, the United States. In fact, what you need to think about is when you get paid, I don't, I'm not, I don't care if you're an employee or you're a business owner. When someone pays you for your services, 
and they use a debit card or they use a credit card. But let's just talk about the debit card part. When they use a debit card, that is a digital transfer of money from their bank to your bank. Um, nine times out of 10, people do not use hardcore cash to pay for white collar small business owner services. The debit card is the equivalent of writing a check. So a debit card or a check, when those um, instruments are used to buy products, goods and services, that's only a digital transfer of money from your client's uh, bank account to your bank account. And then when you pay your mortgage or you pay your rent or you pay your vendors, that's another digital transfer of money from your uh, checking account to someone else's checking account that you're paying. So with that said, there's not a lot of actual money being transferred. So uh, people need to think about that when you consider, well, how much money do people really have? Because even workers who are paid via direct deposit, most workers don't see any money in their hands unless they're like day laborers and they get cash from uh, the person you know, running that, uh, that, that day labor project. Most people have their monies direct deposited to their checking accounts. And then they pay their bills. They pay their, their Verizon bill. They pay their Comcast bill. They pay their, um, uh, that company down in the charter. Yeah, charter communication services. They pay their bills with their debit card, which is a digital transfer or an electronic transfer from their bank to Comcast bank account. So this is very important to know that I believe if someone wanted to end this COVID-19 thing tomorrow, all they would need to do is go to their bank. And I'm not saying destroy the bank, but send a message. This have 5,000 people per bank in whatever city in the United States that you're in. Just have about 5,000 people go to the bank and withdraw $50. And then the next day, withdraw $100. And what you would see the banks say is, you know what, we have, we're running low on money. Because see, banks, you know, people don't understand the financial part about this. And that's why I say, and I, I'm just going to say it, the Democrats have overestimated the impact of CV-19 on the American economy and, and President Trump. Because banks technically even though they may say they have, uh, you know, uh, several hundred million dollars at a bank, it's really only like like five percent of money uh, on hand. Now, the uh, every city in the United States, not every city, but every I think there's about eight, eight to twelve Federal Reserve banks in the U.S. And I know there's one uh, here in San Francisco. I've seen it. Um, used to work right next to it. Um, when I, when I was doing some uh, government work. So there's about maybe eight to 12 Federal Reserve Banks around the country. And those banks typically have this cash, but even the Federal Reserve Banks do not have the cash that they claim to have because uh, the, the US banking system is based on something called fractional banking. So if a bank says they have a billion dollars, in, in, in reserves, technically 
they're only supposed to have like a hundred million. Okay. So it's like 10% of what they say they have, they actually have. The rest of it is just digital money, electronic money that's transferring from bank to bank, that is transferring from person to bank or bank to person. So I just want to just let people know that um, we don't want to be slave to slaves to lenders. And what that means is not necessarily, um, you know, purchases made by check or by debit card or credit card. What it really means is that our country needs not to be a slave to these these federal reserve banks. And so there's a there's like an underlying message that I want to tell people um, here. And I do believe that um, that we're going to be able to fix this problem where these uh, these uh, Federal Reserve institutions are running the world or, or running the United States at a minimum. And what people need to know is that the Federal Reserve banks are not part of the U.S. government. They are not a government agency. The Federal Reserve and the central banks are owned by private individuals some of the richest individuals or groups of individuals in the world. And they love the fact that they can make money off of our purchases. So that lets you know that uh, the American economy in terms of uh, having money available will not go away. So people who are thinking they're, they're, they're breaking the bank or they're busting the, U the U.S. economy in terms of not having enough money, they're dead wrong. Because these people love giving us money because they know we will use it. We will shop. We will buy shit we don't need. And, and they're going to make money from the interest that, is, that, that we owe to them or our country owes to them. So don't be a slave to the, to the lender. Okay, the second uh, topic is the salesperson fear that has been exposed by CV-19, the coronavirus thing. Now, I'll tell you, I did not expect um, small business owners to react like they have. I have not. I did not expect to see individuals acting like they have. I did not expect to see even church people react like they have. So I'll start with the church people just for about 20 seconds. I know church people, and I'm one of them, who have said, oh, my gosh. My faith that I had, I really don't have it because of CV-19. And, you know, so when you listen to uh, church people, and again, I'm one of them over these years, you would think that that church people would say, my faith in God is stronger than CV-19. But I was wrong. I've seen church people fold like lawn chairs because of some, you know, virus that's out there that may not be anything more than a cold for 99% of the people. Okay. So, so I'm done with the church people. I'm just surprised. I am really surprised for small business owners to see that they have uh, given up on still working their businesses just because the small business owner had to, had to shut down uh, sometimes by state law does not mean that the small business owner needs to stop working the business. Now, for white-collar small business owners, the, the, the group, the industries that I support, you still can be in business. You still can do some important things to keep your business growing. Uh, 
there's a, a, a large push or a large movement toward a conference um, way of doing business or virtual conferencing. Now, I've been using virtual conferencing systems since 2010. So I have always been up and running. In fact, uh, the 321 sales system business development training is done nine times out of 10. It's done with, um, with virtual conferencing. I have some great systems. I know the, the best companies to use. I know the companies that have like a 99.8% um, online rate uh, that have a very smooth audio and video uh, technology. But what I've seen is a lot of small business owners say, you know what, this COVID-19 thing is so devastating to me. I'm just going to throw in the towel and my business is in so much jeopardy that I can't do anything. Now, what this is telling me is that before the COVID-19 virus hit, that a lot of small business owners were not as successful or not performing at a high level than I thought, and I would say as even the small business owner would admit. So something that comes along like CV-19 has totally devastated people. And the devastation has to be only like mentally because if the white collar small business owner had a strong way of performing in terms of the actual production and performance of the business. And what, what do I mean about production? When I say production, I mean contacting and prospecting. Small business owners can still, especially the groups that I service, the attorneys, the CPAs, even the dentists, and even the uh, plastic surgeons, and even the insurance brokers and, and real estate brokers. Production means still contact and prospect for business. You can still do that and set the appointment. Now, um, I know in some states, attorneys are on the essential list, which means they can still reach out to people who need legal counsel. So they're not affected. But I've seen attorneys, you know, like I said, fold like, you know, shut down like a folding chair because they perceive that no one wants to talk with them. I know CPAs who are, you know, devastated by the, by the, the notifications that small business owners are, are now uh, shutting down. CPAs can still uh, uh, function. They still can contact and prospect. In fact, as soon as I uh, finish this podcast episode, I'm calling a bunch of small business owners on behalf of, of uh, attorneys and, and CPAs and dentists and insurance brokers. So it, so it still can be done. So this fear that I'm talking about, it's really, uh, it caught a lot of uh, small business owners by surprise. I'm talking about this COVID-19 because if they were marginally producing before COVID-19, then this COVID-19 really exposed them in the sense that they feel uh, flat-footed. They don't feel like they can do anything in their business. And that's not a good way to feel about your business because uh, many small business owners have been around and they have, um, you know, at least stayed afloat for the last five or 10, 15 years. And to see their, their, their spirit crushed by something that may not even be real 
and things that are stopping them from taking action for production purposes. It's just, it, it makes me feel so bad. It makes, I wish I could help every small business owner out there, um, you know, learn more about contacting and prospecting. And I have tried and I am, I have helped small business owners um, understand what contacting and prospecting is and how vital contacting and prospecting is. But I'll tell you what, there are like three different reactions that I've, that I've received from white collar small business owners when it comes to uh, learning how to contact and prospect, which is the production side of your business. Okay. So let me talk about the performance side. So I won't leave people hanging. The performance side is closing the business. And that's also uh, uh, something that white collar small business owners need to work on too. So if you look at the production side, contacting and prospecting, and you look at the performance side, which is how great can you close someone that you're, you're talking to about uh, accounting, uh, legal services, dental services, plastic surgery services, um, insurance services, or real estate services. How good are you at closing? And for, and for people listening to this podcast episode for the first time, when I use the word closing, it's a very professional close. It's not like a like ABC, just close them, get their money, you know, burn up the place, um, have the, 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 the person who just became a client wonder if they made a great decision working with you. No, I'm not talking about that closing. I'm talking about a professional close where that new client says, Rick, I really enjoyed uh, beginning to work with your company. I really enjoyed purchasing your your CPA plan. I really enjoyed hiring you as an attorney. I really enjoyed uh, the fact that you are now my my dentist. So I'm talking about professional closing, creating great sales experiences for new clients. So let's go back to the three things that I see as a consultant, CEO of 321BizDev uh, LLC that stops people from moving forward with learning how to improve uh, production and performance. The first one, and this is for white collar small business owners, and this is not a major criticism. It's just what I see. It's an observation or observations of what I see when I talk to people. And uh, so when I tell people about what we do at 321BizDev and how we can help them, it's not that they don't really want to do it it's it's really three things so let me let me just get let me just cut to the chase the first one is the first way that that people say i'm i'm not interested is they truly think that they can figure it out they truly think that they can improve their productivity and or they feel that they can um improve their performance and again, what is productivity? Contacting and prospecting. What is performance? Improve their closing ratio. So when I talk with them about uh, the reason number one, they say, oh, no, I got it. I got it. And a lot of times they don't have it, but they tell me they got it. And it's no big deal to me. What they're, what they're telling me when they say they got it, that they don't need help, is that they think they can fix it. But a lot of times they don't know what the problem is. 
So I don't give them any heartburn by them telling me that they are doing fine. And if they have any, any challenges, they think they can fix it because I know that they may, they have not even identified what the challenges are with production and performance. So that's the first group. The first group again, feels that, that they can fix whatever problem that they have. And what I see as a CEO of a consulting firm, sales training systems and business development services is that they've never had any training with sales systems and they've never had any training with business development. You see a lot of white collar, small business owners have not spent one hour in sale in sales school. They have not spent one hour in any type of business development course. And I would just tell listeners right now, white collar, small business owners, um, you know, regular business owners with retail stores and anyone who is listening, it takes a minimum of 1000 to 1600 hours to be proficient and using a sales system and to be um, and considered an expert when it comes to business development. So I already know right off the bat when I hear, oh, we got it. We're in the process of fixing or, or improving our, our processes. Well, if they don't, if they don't have the, the training or the experience, it's not going to work. Okay, so let's move on. The second group that I speak with and the group says, this, or not the, not the group, but the second situation that I run into with white collar small business owners they will tell me that they have it all together and uh, that they don't need any assistance. Now, not, the people I talk to, they've never been unprofessional with me because I introduce myself as a chief executive officer and they have the titles and the certifications that they have. So the conversations that I've had with, I would say 999 uh, white collar small business owners out of a thousand have all been professional, never bitter. But what I do know is that uh, white collar small business owners that have uh, you know um, advanced degrees or medical, dental, accounting, uh, legal certifications, the thing that stops them is that pride. That's what stops them. So when I call, you know, as a CEO of three two one BizDev LLC. What I typically are, are what, I, what I'm typically hearing is, why do you think you can help me, Rick? I'm an attorney. I'm a CPA. I'm a dentist. I'm a plastic surgeon. I, I've spent six, eight, 10, 12 years in school. I don't need any help from someone who is not an attorney, who is not a CPA, who is not a dentist, who is not a medical doctor. And I hear similar things from insurance brokers and real estate brokers, but that's a whole nother subject there. Now, if I have time, I'll talk about that. So what I hear from the second group or the second challenge is I have too much education to let someone who is not an attorney, not a CPA, not a dentist, not a medical doctor, tell me how to run my business. That's what I hear. It's not the word, it's not those words that come out, but that's what I'm hearing because I know that every white collar small business owner, just on the statistics of the number of white collar small business owners 
in a metropolitan area could all use new, new could all use need could all need <laughs> they all need new customers. I'm not going to edit this. You know, I'm not going to edit this. So I'm let I'm gonna let it fly. They all need new customers. It's just st statistically uh, true that if you're uh, one of 2,500 dentists in a city, not every dentist is doing is being successful. And especially now with this COVID-19 thing, a lot of dentists have had to severely shut back their, their, their office hours and treatments because of the panic and fear spread by the media and these, and these Democrat politicians telling everyone that COVID-19 is so easy to spread. And again, with only 5,000 deaths across the country and 50,000, you know, cases plus or minus 40,000, it has scared a lot of uh, white collar small business owners and especially dentists into closing their practices because nobody wants to be sued. Oh, I was at Dr. Johnson's dental office today and two days later, I tested positive for coronavirus. So I'm going to sue Dr. Johnson because he should not have been open. And then all of a sudden people are protesting Dr. Johnson's office because, you know, he or she was out trying to make some money, trying to be a capitalist. And how dare him or her be open at the risk of spreading CV-19. Okay. So the third group or the third situation that I see, um, where people are not open to learning how to improve productivity and performance is that their businesses have been on life support ever since they've been in business. And they've made enough money just to pay the rent and the mortgage and to perhaps, um, you know, do be in business as an attorney, CPA, dentist, plastic surgeon, insurance broker, real estate broker. And they just, you know, just are just devastated. Uh, from day one, and they've never had a a, a, a great business month, or a, or a series of great business months in business. So it's almost like, man, you can't help me because I've never had any any great success. And see, the thing is, listeners, when you have a business like a white collar small business owner, you're talking about big ticket, high priced items. So you're talking, you're not talking about a client giving you a check for a hundred dollars. You're talking about uh, at a minimum, you know, two to three, five thousand dollars a year for a CPA. For an attorney, if it's not personal injury, where the attorney is working on a contingency basis, if you're talking about another type of attorney, that might be five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars. If it's a dentist, you're not talking about just uh, cleaning and whitening services because dentists would go broke if that's all the services they provided. So dentists, you know, orthodontic, um, you know, Invisalign, you know, replacement of teeth, veneers, you know, other um, intermediate to complex dental services. You're talking about, you know, 2000 5000 $10,000. And if you have dental insurance, you're still you know, come out of pocket with significant, you know, money. Unless you have one of these dental plans 
that pays everything. And only a few people have a dental plan like that. So these three situations I talked about is really, you know, the the salesperson fear that uh, that is crippling a lot of small business owners. And it's really starting to elevate uh, its its true um, its true nature right now. The fear is really starting to just be out there more so than any other time I've seen in business since the 2008-2009 real estate crisis. And this this COVID-19 thing, even though I said it's manufactured, it's almost like the 2008-2009 real estate crisis. It's almost like that. So let's move on to number three. Number three is the Stockdale Paradox. And this Stockdale Paradox, you have to read up on this uh, to get a good grip on it. But I wanted to just put it out there so uh, small business owners can at least read it on their own. It's from this uh, this Admiral, <clears throat> Admiral Stockdale. And he was a famous uh, Navy Admiral. And he had this saying, and it kind of goes like this. It goes, you know, if you're going to, if you're, if you're having hard times, make sure you have faith. Okay. That's part one. Make sure you have faith. And the second part of it is your faith alone is not going to help you get through the hard time. You need to have that faith. And part two, you need to be able to you need to do the things that you need to do to stay in the game. See, a lot of people will say, well, you know, I'm just going to put my trust that this thing is this COVID-19 thing is going to be over with. So I have faith that it's going to be over with. So I am not going to take any action. I'm just going to put my faith out there, my trust. You can say trust, faith, whatever word you want to use, confidence that this COVID-19 thing or whatever the the complication or the challenge is. I'm just going to put my trust, my confidence, my faith out there, and I'm just going to let it ride. And whatever happens, my trust, faith, and confidence will get me through it. The Stockdale paradox is basically saying, yes, you need to have faith, but at the same time, you need to take more action than you've ever done before based on your faith. So it's basically saying your faith has to be there, but your faith must drive you to work harder than you than you ever have and let your faith be the reason why you're working hard to get over to get through this challenge. And I had to I had to personally I had to, you know, use my faith and take above average average action even in my own life back in 2014 when I suffered a, you know, a devastating self-inflicted uh, situation in my own personal life. You know, I could have said, oh, well, gosh, got this little dilemma that popped up and self-inflicted. Well, it didn't pop up. It was self-inflicted. And uh, so I'm just going to, like, just give up. But I have faith and confidence that things will get better. But I'm not going to do shit. No. What I did, I said I have faith, confidence, and trust that I can start 321BizDev LLC and offer people a very valuable service to help their small business owners. And damn it, I'm going to work very hard at it. 
So that's what the Stockdale paradox is about. And again, I'm going to repeat it. And I really recommend that people read up on it. There's a book that's written about the Stockdale paradox. I can't um, remember it right now, but it's a book written by this guy who who used this admiral's uh, thought process and how he dealt with uh, you know challenges as a U.S. Navy admiral. So again, the Stockdale paradox is: I have trust, I have confidence, I have faith. And part two is: I'm going to work harder than ever before using my strength, I mean, my faith, my confidence and trust. So make sure you pick up the, you know, the book that's related to the Stockdale Paradox. And it's a great book. I just can't remember it right now. Um, But I know the Admiral story because I was a military serviceman. And as a military service person, you know about the great military leaders, you know, U.S. leaders. Okay, the next one is focusing. And focusing in this COVID-19 environment or the lack of focus has truly been the true sales disruptor. So what do I mean by this? Okay, so focus. What does focus really mean? Well, I mean, it's it's a really uh, ambiguous uh, term, you know, as a business owner. So what does that mean when you focus? Well, you, you, you go to work, you open the door, you sit by the phone, and you hope that people call you. And I'm going to focus on making sure that when that doggone phone rings, that I treat that phone call as a very in a very professional way, so that I get that 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 appointment and hopefully close that client. Okay, so you can say that is focus, but folks, every white collar small business owner who has been in business for at least two years, five years, ten years, fifteen years, they you know that that phone doesn't ring like that. And it doesn't ring enough. So the focus that I'm talking about is that focus, again, that goes back to contacting and prospecting, which are production components, and how to close, which is a performance component. So that focus, more so now than ever before, you cannot sit back in your office or if you're working from home because you can't go in your office. You cannot say, uh, I'm just going to not pay attention to to what I'm supposed to do. No, the focus needs to be stronger now. You need to focus on how can you you make connections with with people that you don't know. Can you uh, join an online network? I'm not talking about some frivolous, uh, wimpy network. I'm talking about a strong network. In fact, you need to contact 321BizDev LLC because we can help you network. <laughs> we can help you with finding people who still want to do business. That's the kind of networking I'm talking about. Uh, we have a more uh, expanded conver- uh, explanation of what, what I mean when I say network and business development services. So focusing now more than ever on contacting and prospecting getting the training that you need to have to be able to do that. Because 321 BizDev LLC, we can take you through a six-hour sales system training to, to give you the, 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 the platform to learn how to focus. 
and we can show you how the focusing part is not as hard as you think it is. You just have to have a system of being able to see from the very first step of how you run your business to the end of that process. And we have a system that helps white collar small business owners do that. And I'm talking about accountants. I'm talking about, I mean, we're talking about uh, attorneys, CPAs, dentists, um, plastic surgeons, insurance brokers, and real estate brokers. Okay. So there is a way that you can improve your focus even now with this COVID-19 thing. And you're going to come out of it, come out of this situation better because now that you see how much your business can be threatened, now that you see how easy it is to shut down your business, I guarantee you most people will work harder when we come out of this. You will get up in the morning after we get through this, you'll get up in the morning and say, I am not going to be a slacker in my business from now on. Because who knows the next time something like this is going to, is going to be concocted by the Democrats to impact your business. So I don't even feel funny. I don't even feel strange now saying Democrats because this has all uh, been driven by the Democrats. And uh, so, yeah. Okay, so now I want to move on to five, six, seven, and eight. And eight is the last one I'm going to talk about. It's about brainwashing. Um, and brainwashing is, is a good thing in the context of this podcast episode. But five, six, and seven, I really want to talk about five, six, and seven. Okay, I mentioned somewhere in the last couple of days that my grandfather was a World War, a World War II veteran. He fought in Germany and in Europe. He fought in France in defeating Hitler. Uh, my great, I mean, my grandfather was born in 1915, so he would have been like 24 years old when he went into the Navy uh, to uh, fight in World War II. And the reason why I know that he was in the, uh, in, in, he was a, a World War II veteran, number one, I got his flag when he died, when they did the, 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 the gun salute there in Tampa, Florida. I got his flag because I was the only male in the country because his son, my uncle, was fighting in Vietnam. So I was the only adult male in the country, and I was also living with my, my grandfather. I got the flag when the, when the uh, pallbearers, the military uh, drill team uh, did the, 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 the salute, the gun salute. They folded the flag above his casket. And they gave, put the flag in my lap. Okay. The other reason why I know about uh, Grandpa Joe, that's his name, because he used to tell me stories about, you know, being tough and what he had to do when he um, was in the war in World War II. And granted, I was only, by the time I feel, finally understood what he was talking about, I was like five to about maybe 11 years old as he was telling me this. And I remember he used to always use this word. I'm not going to mention the word. It's a it's a slur for a Nazi. I'm not going to use that word on this podcast episode because I have respect for everybody. And I must tell you that my ancestry goes back to Germany. 
my great great grandfather was a German. Did I get that right? Great grandmother, great great grandfather. Yes, my great great grandfather was a German, and he. Um, I'm not going to say he married this <laughs> this lady, but he impregnated this lady who was a black woman in Florida. And my great grandmother Gertrude was born. And uh, Gertrude had four daughters by a Cuban guy. So my ancestry is obviously African. If you see my picture, is African. It's also German, and it's also Hispanic from from a Cuban, uh, the Cuban culture. And I grew up in Tampa, Florida, where there's like a lot of Cubans. So I understand uh, the Cuban culture extremely well. Now, I wasn't raised in a Cuban culture, but my great grandmother had four daughters from a Cuban guy. And uh, my grandmother, Juanita, was one of the daughters from my great grandmother. So but I did grow up in a, in a large uh, you know, Cuban environment, even though my uh, family, my internal family did not practice anything considered Hispanic. We, we more so went toward the, the African, the African-American experience in, in South Florida. So let's talk about some things I want to talk about. And I'm, that's why I had to mention my grandfather's uh, legacy and what he taught me uh, as a World War II soldier. My grandfather taught me that we should never give up. And I want to talk about a few things regarding never give up from world military leaders, which I really have respected even more that we're going through this COVID-19 than I have ever before. So the first person I want to talk about is the United Kingdom's Winston Churchill. I was a history buff in college and, and high school. I love learning about military history, world military history. And of course, the military history I learned about were, were, was things that where the United States were involved. I know other countries have world histories, but I could not learn India's world histories. I could not learn, um, you know, maybe China's world history or like an Arab country's world history because I can only learn so much. So I learned about American world history and American war world history. So Winston Churchill, and of course people know the story, Adolf Hitler, you know, he, he wanted to, to conquer the world. He wanted to conquer all of Europe. And he wanted to conquer, you know, even the United States. So um, Adolf Hitler was on the move. He doubled up. He teamed up with uh, Mussolini of Italy. And uh, so Germany and Italy were on the same side. And uh, Nazi Adolf Hitler's first target that was closest to him was France and uh, in England. So let's talk about the English part first. Okay, so uh, Hitler sent the Luftwaffe. Luftwaffe means Air Force in German. And he sent the German Air Force unannounced and pretty much destroyed one third of London. So uh, Hitler was like, I'm going to take London by surprise. And he did. He sent something like 500 planes, the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force. And it, and it caught London by surprise and tore 
or destroyed one third of of Londoners. And I believe the number dead was something like uh, like a couple of hundred thousand people dead in, 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 in the UK, London. So Winston Churchill had taken uh, the reins of the uh, Great Britain, the military of Great Britain. And this is after Neville Chamberlain was not able to act. Neville Chamberlain was the prime minister of Great Britain, but he was a failure. And Winston Churchill was voted to be the new prime minister. So within days of becoming the, the new prime minister of Great Britain, the German Air Force, the Luftwaffe, attacked London. So that was pretty devastating to be the new prime minister in six days to, after taking office. You get bombed the hell out of by the Germans and the Nazis. So what Winston Churchill did, he walked the streets of London, you know, the battered buildings, the tore down buildings, the bombed buildings, the people that were uh, sick and the people that were killed and the people that were huddled in underground tunnels in London. And he walked the streets and he had a, a famous statement. I can't remember it right now, but he basically said that we will not quit. We will not be defeated. And a few days later, he sent the Royal Air Force, the British Royal Air Force, to attack the planes that Germany had, you know, in, certain, in, a, in, a, in a pretty uh, uh, location where the, German had, the Germans had their air force. So he was able to um, set the Germans back quite a bit and give himself some time to come up with a, with a strategy to defeat uh, Hitler. Okay, so let's move on a little bit to uh, General Douglas MacArthur, who won back the Philippines Islands from the Japanese after the initial battle. Now, see, the thing was that Tokyo, Japan, Japan had this thing about they wanted to conquer, you know, uh, you know, Korea. They wanted to conquer uh, China. So they were like pushing to conquer all the Pacific the Pacific Island countries, which included the Philippines. And General Douglas MacArthur, he was caught by surprise when, when the Japanese invaded the Philippine Islands. And he lost that battle. He lost the battle and had to retreat to um, like a hidden location to regroup. He had to retreat. So he was devastated and Japan was was still doing its thing. It was it was trying to conquer China and the uh, the the uh, the uh, prime minister or the uh, the leader of, of Japan. He set out and everybody knows his story. He said that we that they also wanted to uh, defeat America. Now, see, the thing is, is that everybody wants to attack America. They've always wanted to attack us. They've always wanted to see America get harmed. But you know what? We've been fighting this battle for a long time. And we have never lost. Now, some people may think that's an, that's an arrogant statement coming from me, but I am an American. Okay? And if I was in India, I would have as much pride for my Indian country as I would as an American. And if I was in uh, Spain, or if I was in Russia, if I was in China, I would have just as much pride for my country as 
I would if I lived in one of those countries. So, but it always seems like everybody wants to take America down. Okay, so General Douglas MacArthur, you know, he got defeated. He had an initial defeat and lost the Philippine Islands. And one thing you need to know about the, the Filipino people, the Filipino people have always been a close, uh, loyal partner of the United States. In fact, here in the San Francisco area, um, there's, uh, there's uh, lots of areas in the San Francisco area, uh, Newark, um, uh, Daly City, you know, uh, Fremont, California. Those three areas are highly populated by Filipinos. You, and you know why? Look up the name John Daly. John Daly had a connection with the, um, with the Filipino people. So when the Filipino people helped United States, you know, eventually conquer the Japanese, you know, a lot of Filipinos were able to come to the United States as, as legal residents. So the Filipino people have always had a, a good place in my heart because they were with us for at least the last hundred years. So back to the story of General MacArthur. Okay, so he, he lost the Philippine Islands, but he said, I'm going to take them back. And at the same time, Japan had struck Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. And that's when uh, 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 Teddy Roosevelt was our president, the guy in the wheelchair. And so people know the story of how, um, you know, Teddy Roosevelt set this, this, this campaign up where he was going to get Japan back. So he went to this place called the Midway Islands, almost about equal distance between Hawaii and Japan. It's right there at the, uh, the timeline where, you know, night <laughs> where you can cross the timeline and be in a totally different day. So Midway Island, look that up. Look up the Battle of Midway Island. And that's when uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt and General MacArthur fought the Japanese and won. And General MacArthur took back the Philippine Islands and made them uh, an ally of the United States of America. Okay. So the, one of the last ones I want to talk about, I want to get back to Great Britain and the U.S., and the Nazis, and uh, let's see what else, the Russians. Okay, so number seven, the Battle at Normandy, France, which turned the tide in defeating Hitler. So one thing about Hitler that people need to know, that he was an arrogant son of a bitch. He probably could have taken all of Europe, but when he was fighting Western, the Western countries like France and had Italy on his side and was going after Spain and wanted to attack uh, the United Kingdom, he said, hey, let's go attack Russia. Now, Russia, or at that time, the Soviet Union, because it was, it, you know, people need to listen to my podcast, my podcast episodes. I have a lot of, lot of stuff on this. Uh, 1917, Russia was no longer Russia. It became the Soviet Union, the United Soviet Socialist Republics, Republic. And first it was Lenin, then Stalin. So Stalin was the president of the USSR, the Soviet Union. Now, Stalin was a, a, a partner with Hitler. He was, they were friends. And as crazy as Hitler, he goes, hey, I want more than just 
France and the UK and eventually America. I want Russia. So he went after Russia. And Stalin wasn't having it. So Stalin defeated the, the Eastern push that, that Hitler tried to, to, to do on somebody that was supposed to be his ally. So that's what I'm saying. These socialist people, you can't trust them. And there's a move in America to have this socialist thing. We don't want that shit. I'm just letting you know, we don't want it. And uh, so I hope... I, I hope and pray that Trump wins by a landslide because we, you know, here in America, you know, we got some misfits out here that love socialists, socialism, but the average American likes to work. They like to make the money that they make. They like to make even more money if they can. They like selling stuff. They like moving products and services for money. They like profit. They like buying nice cars, like buying nice homes, nice, not, they like buying, taking nice trips to other countries and spending money there, just like I did. I went to uh, Southern Europe this past summer and I spent like probably like $5,000 between Barcelona, Marseille, France, um, Civita Vecchia, uh, uh, Italy, uh, Naples, Italy. What else did I go? I went to um, uh, the island of Mallorca, an island of Spain, and I didn't stop at those two islands in the middle. Uh, I can't think of the name of them. The two islands south of France, I think uh, Italy. Oh, oh, Sardinia and another one. Um, there's an island that France owns when I was on the cruise ship. I wish I could have stopped there, but I didn't. But Americans love capitalism. And we're not going to let some these evil people that are like Nazis uh, push this communism and socialism stuff on us. That is something a lot of Americans are willing to die for, even in our own country. We've already fought a civil war, you know, back in the uh, the 1700s. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I will tell you this. A lot of Americans, we're not going to go for socialism and, and communism, not going to go for it. So. So back to this this battle. So Hitler betrayed his own partner, Stalin, Joseph Stalin. And that was his demise because. He lost a lot of, you know, people. He lost a lot of soldiers. He lost a lot of uh, armament, a lot of tanks, a lot of aircraft trying to uh, betray his, his partner, uh, Joseph Stalin. All right. So <laughs> what's interesting about, uh, about uh, uh, what's his name, Adolf Hitler, is the guy was just, he must have had a mental disease. So let's talk about Normandy. Okay, so Hitler was told that the U.S., along with Great Britain, was going to, you know, put an end to his mess, to put an end to Hitler's mess. So Hitler said the most strategic point to defend, because Hitler was already, he had already taken over France. You know, Viva la France, you know, the French resistance, man, they were so important in helping the U.S. and Great Britain finally get Hitler's ass out of there? The French resistance. I had a professor in my economics classes in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and he talked about, he was a, I think he was a, either the son or the grandson. He's probably the grandson. Yeah, he was the grandson of a French, uh, the, the, French uh, the French Foreign Legion, the French resistance. He was the grandson of the French Foreign Legion fighter. 
because France had these underground tunnels to help the troops, you know, get a great uh, strategic and tactical position against the Nazis. So this guy told me, this professor told me that, you know, the French people, at least back then, and I would still hope today, that the French love the fact that the U.S. came all the way over from the United States to help get rid of this guy, Adolf Hitler. Because if not, Adolf Hitler would have owned and controlled all of Europe, probably would have controlled Great Britain, and he had set his sights on the United States if he would have defeated Europe. So back to the Norm the Battle of Normandy. Okay, so Hitler said the most strategic place to fight the British and the United States was Calais, France. Calais, France is uh, several hundred miles uh, from Normandy. Normandy is south uh, southwest of Calais, France. So Hitler put all of his troops and all of his tanks and all of the you know all of his fighting power in Calais. What the what the British and the United States did, we attacked uh, uh, Adolf Hitler at on the beaches of Normandy. And people, you've seen those you've seen those scenes in movies where the where the where American um, uh, 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 ships that had the troop the troop carriers that's what they're called troop I was a military person I wasn't in the navy but I know what it's called it's a troop carrier and those troop carriers have sometimes fifty to seventy uh, personnel on those on those carriers and they they get close as they can where the uh, fighters can get, you know, walk out of the carriers and be at about maybe, um, you know, knee deep of water and storm the beach. So on that day, the numbers were high, something like 20,000 American troops were killed storming the beaches at Normandy, but it was successful. And Hitler's lost a lot of troops because he had some troops there, but the majority of his troops were in Calais, France. And to make a long story short, uh, the, storming the beach at Normandy put a, a stranglehold on Adolf Hitler. So Adolf Hitler began to lose the rest of the war because of that. And then fast forward, um, you know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, General, Mac General MacArthur, the Battle of Midway Island, the battle at from Midway Island uh, finished off the Japanese um, you know, thing of how they wanted to conquer, you know, the Pacific Islands. And then the bomb was dropped. You know, Nagasaki, Hiroshima, the bombs were dropped. And that ended all that madness. So I just wanted to tell people about that, that these, these battles, because, you know, like I said, everybody wants to knock the U.S. off the box. And I just want to say this, you know, I'm a world, I, I consider myself a world citizen. When I go to places outside of the United States, I am the best guest that you could have. I'm going to follow the laws of Dubai. I'm going to follow the laws of, of, of Hong Kong. I am not going to do any crazy stuff when I go to Germany. I'm not going to do a lot of crazy stuff when I go to Brazil. I'm not going to do a lot of crazy stuff when I go to Mexico. And I own a, a, a timeshare in Mexico that I go to every year. I am not going to, you know, offend someone else's laws and sovereignty. 
when I go to their country. And I do know that, you know, America is like the king of capitalism. Our country is the king of capitalism. And when America succeeds, a lot of other countries succeed. I know people in India right now that are trying to get their businesses going. And, you know, India is a huge country. Like, I think it's second behind China or maybe even be first ahead of China in population. But there's a lot of Indian people that are trying to get their businesses going. And this COVID-19 thing, even though, you know, it's hurting the U.S., it's also hurting these other countries. Just today I heard that uh, in, in Guatemala and in Pakistan, and I would also say probably in India, you know, which a lot of our blue jeans, uh, like, you know, people that like the Levi's and some of these other blue jean manufacturers, they come from these countries. But guess what? American retailers have stopped ordering because they're not selling. So this COVID-19 mess, you know, fraud, whatever you want to call it, it's hurting other people in different countries because of this, this uh, masquerade of a, of a major pandemic. It's hurting other countries as well. And that's why this thing has to end pretty soon. I strongly feel that it will, that it will end soon. I have great faith in President Donald Trump and his plans to you know, make sure that people are safe, uh, to make sure that this uh, you know, health issue, whether it's true or false, will come to an end. So I have great faith in that happening. In fact, I met Donald Trump in 1991 at a, at a business seminar, networking event. So my last thing I want to talk about, and this takes us back to, you know, the business side of things. And thanks for listening to the um, this stuff about, uh, you know, uh, Stockdale Paradox and Churchill and General Douglas MacArthur and uh, the battle at Normandy. But this last thing I want to talk to, talk to you about, and this will be short, it's called brainwashing. And I wanted to add this 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 piece because. You know, our brains need washing as salespeople. Selling, running a business, especially a white collar small business owner, certain offering services are big ticket items where the price, excuse me, the prices are $1,000, $5,000, $10,000, If you are an attorney or, or you're offering a big ticket, you know, dental services or medical services like a plastic surgeon. Owning a business does not come naturally. Now, the numbers, you might be able to understand the numbers, whether you're losing or not, or whether you're succeeding with the numbers, the financials. You can hire a CPA and the CPA will tell you, Bob or Maria, your business is doing great based on the numbers. And if you are lucky enough to have a business where the numbers look great, that's fine. But that's not the majority of small business owners. So this thing about running a business, especially the two items that I've, that I've mentioned, the two, the two uh, areas, productivity or production and performance, which is closing. These concepts are not concepts that come naturally to people. So when you start your business, you, you need your brainwashed. <laughs> you need to have a six hour a sales training, a sales system training session with 321 BizDev LLC so we can wash your brain to let you know that you have 
you can have a, a high performance business. You can have a high productive business. You can have a business where you can have people in your pipeline. That's a production concept. A pipeline is when you always have people coming through the beginning of the, pro the, of the pipeline, meaning you're, there's always people who are interested in, in looking at your product or service. And, they're in, and, and then less are interested in uh, being qualifiers for your product or service. And then less people are meeting at appointments. And then finally, you get to a number X of the people who are sitting down with you and they decide to move forward and become clients. So that's what a pipeline is. So the, the concept of brainwashing is not negative. The concept of brainwashing is many small business owners, many white collar small business owners are moving into new territory. It's not normal. It's not common to own a business. It's not common to have the motivation to reach out to people. It's not common to sit down with someone and spend more time listening to them than you are talking about your product or service. That's not normal. What is normal is, is for you to sit down and talk 80, 90% of the time about your product or service with the hopes that this person is going to say, yes, you know, Ralph, here's my $5,000. I'm ready to get started. That it doesn't happen like that. So I wanted to just encourage people, whether it's 321 BizDev LLC or whether it's someone else, but please take some time to put some effort into learning how sales systems work and uh, being introduced to a business development system of how to find clients, of how to contact, prospect, appointment set, and close clients. So I want to thank you for listening to this long episode. This might be an episode. No, I don't think, no, it's not going to be the longest episode. I just did one for 100 minutes that lasted 100 minutes uh, last week. So this one may be about 75 minutes. So anyway, if you are a white collar small business owner and this podcast episode addresses a concern or situation that you are going through right now, please do not hesitate to call me at 833-321-3212 or internationally using WhatsApp at country code 1-415-515-6760 to see if 321BizDev LLC can help you find a winning solution. We recommend small business owners looking for solutions. Visit our website at 321bizdev.com slash services to complete a questionnaire to begin the consultative process. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Make it a great day. Bye-bye.